Chapter 18, Expansion Plans. It had taken me a few seconds to get my bearings and reorientate myself to reality. The system's menus had not only jarred me out of meditation, but it had also broken my concentration to the ring. The sudden shift in perspective had my stomach churning as I broke out in a cold sweat. It did allow me to search for and find a drop-down menu specific to the ring, a menu that included settings that allowed me to adjust system notifications so they could be delayed. I was uncertain if turning off notifications while in the ring was a smart idea, but I decided against it just in case. Even as uncomfortable as the transition between realities had been, it hadn't made sense to completely disable notifications. If I thought of it as a safety measure, a way to be certain, I exited the training space. It could be useful. I did find a feature that allowed me to set alerts. After a bit of fine-tuning and tweaking, I'd modified notifications and assigned them a priority. So I deemed high priority would continue to function and the rest would be disabled. It wasn't a bad idea to exit the training space after leveling up, and there were a few other security concerns I toggled on while adjusting the ring settings. The more I played with the ring's functionality, the more impressed I became. I was able to assign storage space by typing the category, armor, weapons, clothing, all separated by type, rank, and level. Clothing and armor combinations set to fast change settings that allowed me to easily swap in and out, equipping seamlessly and automatically. Perishables, gems, and crafting materials were each categorized, and a list of items was compiled that were added to and included a search feature. Finally, a function to add house members and give them access rights to the training space was made available. The settings were tier-based, with an option for me to upgrade by upgrading the binding with the use of genetics. Once I'd configured the ring and saved the new settings, I took the time before falling asleep to analyze and ponder the data I'd discovered during the day and the information the trainer had imparted. My mind finally shut down, and I fell into a dreamless sleep, exhausted from the day's events, my body and mind blissfully unaware and taking the opportunity to rest and recuperate. Technically, I was at full health, but a new world, a new life, and killing for the first time had had an effect. Killing not only conflicted with my moral belief system, but shouldering the burden of my actions in facilitating those deaths lay siege to my mental fortifications. I needed time to decompress and just be. The sound of dishes clanking and voices in the next room slowly sleeped into my awareness the next morning until finally the last vestiges of sleep gave way. I stretched luxuriously, amazed at how much better I felt after just one night's sleep. A quick mental scan helped me to more fully understand the changes leveling up had made to my body. My strength may have only increased incrementally from 12 to 12.2, but I was unquestionably stronger. Additionally, my reaction speeds had increased, and my thought processes seemed just that much faster and clearer. Leveling up had changed me. The decision to invest in agility and intellect had been a gamble on my part. This was my first level up, 
and I hadn't been certain how much difference I would be able to detect, but the gamble had paid off. I was just that much more. My movement, my thought process, the changes were noteworthy. Heading to the restroom to answer the call of nature and begin my day, I was happy to note that hot showers felt as good no matter what universe you were in. Dispensers for soap and shampoo were the same, built into the shower enclosure. The loofah hanging from the hook was commonplace and familiar. It made sense. Convenience was paramount. And there really was only so many ways you could configure an ensuite. As I bathed, I considered my dreamless night. I had killed yesterday. My body had reacted each time, but my emotions seemed deadened. I had no nightmares, no real remorse. Once I'd fallen asleep, the concerns and burdens I'd agonized over seemed to dissipate. I wasn't numb, compartmentalizing the events or suppressing the serious and horrifying results of my actions. I cared that I had to kill. Today, I cared more that I seemed not to regret those killings. I didn't believe my moral compass had changed that drastically. I still knew that murder was wrong. Maybe I was rationalizing. But I recognized what I had done wasn't murder. It was self-defense. If I hadn't been attacked, then I wouldn't have responded. Once I realized this, that I had no choice, I truly seemed to find peace with my actions and yesterday's events. The toilets were interesting. They didn't have any plumbing or use water to dispose of waste. Instead, enchantments existed that functioned in place of running water. The functionality was the same. Waste went in, was processed somehow, and disposed of. Efficiency translated well. It was interesting to note that seely-unseely males experienced the same morning physiological response as human males when they first woke. I took matters in hand and remedied the situation like so many men have before. And to not let the experience go to waste, I made sure to upgrade the binding on the ring to the next steer using my genetics. It was messy, but these things often are. And at least I was in the shower. Examining my face and chin in the mirror, I was happy to note that my face was as smooth and fresh today as it had been yesterday. It looked like shaving wouldn't be an issue and that beards, moustaches, sideburns, and body hair were a thing of the past. I had mixed emotions about that. I was happy to be spared the daily chore, but I'd had a beard in my previous life that I was proud of. It seemed there was no way to disguise my youthful appearance. I wouldn't be using a beard to hide behind. On the bright side, I wouldn't have to worry about nose or ear hair. I'd stored all the clothing Grandmaster Parsifal had created for me and used the wardrobe option in the ring, so deciding on something to wear for the day was easy. I went with something comfortable and familiar, shirt and slacks. I'd made a mental note to remind Henry to contact Percival and commission appropriate uniforms for staff, guards, and vassals. I thought it might be an interesting experiment to find out if I could introduce jeans as a fashion concept, a well-fitting, comfortable pair of jeans suited my style much more than the elegant and refined masterworks Parsifal had supplied me with. It did dawn on me to find out if he'd been paid for the clothing he'd supplied, but shrugged it off momentarily, adding it to my mental checklist 
for something that we should discuss when I met to discuss my new requirements. Jenny was the first to greet me as I made my way into the main room. Brienne, Henry, and Cedric were huddled together, scrolling through holographic crystal projections, working to coordinate the day's schedule. System, time, informed me it was barely six o'clock in the morning, and these three looked as if they'd already been up and working for hours. Although I was impressed with their dedication, I was also worried that they might be attempting to do too much too quickly. The only solution to that was to get more help, hopefully before they burned out or collapsed in exhaustion, which gave rise to the question of healing spells and their efficacy and ability to work on exhaustion. Did potions that increase stamina regeneration or heal even exist? It seemed unlikely considering the phenomenal restorative and regenerative properties of even the lowest ranked C. Good morning, everyone. I greeted everyone before moving to the dining room table to break my fast. Jenny, it's not that I'm unhappy to see you, but I'm surprised your clan can spare you again this morning. I've made arrangements with the clan. They know I will be joining you, Jenny declared. I've decided the matter with Henry, and he's agreed that I would make a formidable head of kitchen. Her face beamed with pride, an expectation certain that I would be happy that she was joining me. I should have tried to dissuade her. I knew being around me might be dangerous, and that it was safer to refuse her service. But I couldn't, mainly because Carid loved and trusted her so much. But additionally, because if I let my suspicions and worry about danger dictate my decisions, I wouldn't engage any staff or vassals. This world was too big and too confusing for me to attempt to go it alone. I'm so happy, I told Jenny, reaching down to give her a tight hug. Thank you for this. I know how hard it must be to decide to leave clan and kin. Not entirely. There are a few newly ascended youngsters that have a bit of the wanderlust and would seek a new home and hearth. A prep cook and maid, she replied returning my hug before heading towards the kitchen. I eavesdropped on the conversation going on in the other room as I finished eating. There was an argument developing, mainly about what duty I owed Lord Kell. Henry rightly pointed out that I had been a ward of Lord Kell's and should acknowledge that obligation, no matter how spurious and hesitant Lord Kell has met his own obligations. He pointed out that as a prince, I should be above petty affronts and revenge. Cedric was adamant that I no longer owed Lord Kell any type of filial obligations. Rather, Lord Kell had neglected his responsibilities and allowed his son to bully me until the attempted murder attempt. If he'd acted steadfastly and assuredly from the beginning instead of reluctantly supplying the bare minimum of protection and kinship, then Thaw may not have abused and broken kin and guess rights. I agreed with Cedric, but decided not to interfere in their discussion. I wanted to see how they brokered a solution that both sides were satisfied with. I was happy with how they were relating to each other. Egos and expectations seemed to not be part of the debate, just honest give and take, until a consensus was reached. They acknowledged that it might be disrespectful to meet with and host small, intimate dinner discussions with those royals and ranked that were hoping to meet with me. But I had made my opinion about Lord Kell public. 
I outranked him, and it was no longer necessary for me to worry about his reputation. I shouldn't plan to intentionally go out of my way to insult him, but I was under no obligation to restore his honor and reputation. Small, quiet, dignified dinner meetings over the next few days were acceptable. Discreet discussions to ferret out how people were responding to systems broadcast of my circumstances and to gauge the feasibility of negotiating alliances and friendships where possible. I was astonished at how adept and knowledgeable both Cedric and Henry seemed to be on the topic of politics and how insightful they were about hidden motivations and behind-the-screen maneuvering. As early as it is, people, I said, deciding to interject myself into the conversation, what are the plans for getting this cluster f- I mean, this mess sorted, and the day organized? The front desk has compiled a list of names and contact information for anyone that was brave enough to actually inquire about you, Brienne answered. They are willing to loan staff to escort applicants to the conference room. They also have agreed to supply signs and notices to post your contact information and details so that private inquiries can be made. I've supplied the contact information from the business enterprise you established yesterday, she informed me. I have compiled a list of names, ranks, and skill sets from people that have already gathered and will continue to update the list. There are enough applicants to keep you busy for the next day or two, depending on how many of these people you intend to interview, she continued. I've informed the front desk that there will be no minimum rank requirement when applicants inquire and apply for a position, and that includes those ranked at the commoner level and below. They agreed to allow ranked peons access, in fact. They seemed rather delighted by the novelty. Of course they were, Jenny said. My family has always placed more importance on deeds and actions than rank and levels. We have long memories. We remember when attempts were made to force us into positions of servitude because of our nature. We refused to treat others as we had been treated. I plan on reaching out to Lord Kell's people today about the issues we discussed, Henry informed me. Please add contacting Grandmaster Parsival as a priority on your list, Henry, I suggested. He was the tailor I used to design my heraldic device, so give him first right of refusal to supply uniforms for anyone I decide to hire or absorb within my house. Cedric, I directed while the tailor was the topic of conversation. Get with Parsival. If he agrees, have him create appropriate tunics and overlays with my house emblems and colors on them for you. I'm not sure how fast he can get things crafted, but I'd like at least to see you outfitted properly. By the way, what level are you now? Are you close to reaching knight rank? I reached squire level 10 after the battle in Summerlands, Cedric informed me, pride evident in his words and his expression. Carrot, how do I promote him to knight? He's my vassal, so I should be able to, right? Blood makes the crops grow. It's not just an expression. The sea have based ritual on the life-giving properties of blood and fertility. You need to slice your palms and his. By clasping hands, you establish a connection. Share and mingle blood, then extend your will through the blood link. Just a small push of intent will set off a chain reaction and force a level up. 
His rank will increase immediately from squire to knight. Leveling up between ranks in this manner doesn't require the meditation process. Acting on my newly acquired knowledge, I withdrew a dagger from spatial holding. After moving to stand in front of Cedric, what an appropriate way to start this new day and our new adventure. Give me your hand, Cedric, I commanded. Unsure of my intention, he trustingly offered me his left hand. Holding it steady, I made a quick slash, opening a shallow wound. Almost before he could react, I released his hand and made an identical slash on my left hand. I once again clasped his hand, mingling our blood, and as I did so, I began to channel intent. No words were necessary to complete the process, but I felt somehow compelled to give voice to meaning. True worth is in being, not seeming in doing each day that goes by. Some little good, not in dreaming, of great things to do by and by. For whatever men say in their blindness, and in spite of the fancies of youth, there's nothing so kingly as kindness, and nothing so royal as truth. I'd like to take credits for the words, and in this universe, perhaps they would be credited to me. But in truth, the words were a symbolic representation of what true nobility should be, and were authored by the poet Alice Carey back on Earth. I found them auspicious, and felt they gave meaning and direction to what I hoped my house would become. I decided to embrace the words as my house motto. Cedric fell to his knees, our hands still clasped, his hands spasming and clenching with mine sporadically, as my intent began the chain reaction to transform and elevate him. A binding light radiated, corabantic energy, as the transformative process began and ended. The look on his face was not one of pain. Ranking up appeared more euphoric than painful, which explained why the process for leveling was delayed. He was helpless in his ecstasy. The experience orgasmic and miraculous. Participating and witnessing his experience was awe-inspiring, and both Henry and Brienne began to cry tears of joy as they stood witness to his elevation. Cedric has been promoted to knight rank, level one. Vassals, one. Knight rank, one. Reputation with Cedric Vermac has increased. Reputation has reached esteemed. Reputation with Brienne Waite has increased. Reputation has reached friendly. Reputation with Basil Henry has increased. Reputation has reached friendly. His countenance transformed into one of gratitude. Cedric slowly regained his feet. Your Highness, he began, you do me a great honor by elevating my rank with no stipulations or demands. I have pledged myself to you, but your actions have demonstrated a nobility of spirit and kindness that few aspire to. I am not sure why you have bestowed this honor on me and my family, but we will repay kindness with steadfastness. Releasing my hand, he stepped back to bow deeply, genuflecting, in recognition of the honor and reverence he held for my actions. Not a sign of subservience or kowtowing. The wounds in our hands had healed, the blood consumed by his elevation, but a faint white scar remained, a permanent testament to my action. It seemed a suitable reminder, the perfection and flawless nature of seely and unseely, accented by a fine scar. As I elevated others, these scars would crisscross and build a roadmap a living document, and an evolving testament that immortalized the history of those rewarded with elevation. 
Well, I joked, trying to lighten the mood in the room. I guess I need to give you a raise now. Brienne and Henry looked at me in horror, before realizing I was joking. Cedric was the first to laugh. But it set off the rest of us, and soon the four of us were laughing, until tears streamed down our faces. It was a nice way to break the tension and ground us. Seriously, though, we should discuss wages. I said, after I finally managed to gain control of myself, an elevation in rank should include a pay increase, shouldn't it? Really? Brienne asked. Did Lord Kell not even bother explaining the relationship between vassals and their liege? Henry spluttered, aghast. I don't work for you, Cedric informed me. His face transformed from one of pleasure and wonder to embarrassment. I'm your vassal. You can reward me with lands, arms, or items, but as far as monies go, I and all vassals teeth their liege lords 10% of their earnings. That includes those earnings for any individuals they may accept as vassals in their own right. Further, income from lands requires a tithe of 5%. It's one of the ways higher-ranked earned funds to expand, Cedric explained. You also have the right to levy people that have settled vassals' lands to your flag during times of conflict. This is one of the reasons you need capable advisors, to guide and explain the nuances of your rank. You should know this. Lord Kell did, in fact, instruct me in these matters. For now, explain it off as a possible memory loss, Carrot suggested. Oh, I said agreeing to Carrot's plan. I'm not sure if Lord Kell's discussions ever included vassals. I've noticed there are several holes in my memory lately. Basil and Cedric seemed relieved once I explained my memory issues. It was as if they'd been worried that I hadn't exhibited any problems from my ascension. I didn't try to understand their relief. I just accepted it, because memory loss allowed for a perfect excuse and enabled me to camouflage my own mistakes. Any idiosyncrasies they may notice in the future would be attributed to my ongoing problems with my memory. The next few hours were mundane, tedious and monotonous, anticlimactic after Cedric's elevation, but necessary. Each of them performed their assigned tasks efficiently. Henry coordinated with Lord Kell's people and arranged a banquet to coincide with my departure. From listening to his side of the conversation, it was apparent that Lord Kell would not be happy. I didn't care. I had overheard the conversation between him and Lady Patricia and I knew his motivations were suspect. There was a possibility that he may not have been involved in the plot I'd uncovered pertaining to the Olympians and Asgardians, but I would bet gold that he was. Henry also managed to attain a list of properties, items, serfs, retainers, and possessions that Thom had owned and now mine by right. I arranged with Henry to sell off all properties and possessions, even if that meant accepting a loss. I knew I would not be returning to Fife Kell once I left. The monies added up, and I added an additional few thousand gold coins to my assets. I kept Thom's stable of animals. He had a few mounts that would come in handy. Five Kelpie, but only three were suitable to be used as mounts. The other two were fowls, capable of travel, but not sustaining the weight of a rider. His retainers I freed from their oaths, 
allowing them to decide their own fates. The staff I gave the option to sever their contracts, paying each a month's wages and allowing them to search for new employment or transfer their contracts to Lord Cal. The great majority of them accepted that offer and transferred contracts, but there were a few, mainly serfs, that sought permission to transfer their allegiance to my house. I agreed to accept them as provisional employees elevating them from serf to free man, placing them under Jenny's direction for the moment. I informed Cedric to be vigilant in background checks where these people were concerned. I didn't want spies or assassins that Lord Kell had purchased to use this method to gain access to me or mine. Happily, no slaves were listed, and I was pleased to know that Lord Kell had one redeeming quality. He did not approve of the practice and refused to allow Seely slaves. It seemed on this one matter that even Thom was not exempt from Lord Kell's edict. I did notice his ban seemed to be limited to Seely slaves. I was uncertain what that limitation meant for the rest of C in his domains. Brienne did an amazing job of scheduling interviews. She funneled data sheets to Cedric, who expedited background checks, information that was based on each person's system character and status. A simple crystal biometric tool allowed her to collaborate and copy the stats, skills, and spells system recognized. There was no way to hide or obfuscate level, class, or rank once this tool was utilized. Coincidentally, a colony of Aziza, a subspecies of the Fae that was indigenous to the African continent on Earth, were one of the first to offer fealty. These small, hairy individuals often hid and made their homes in ant colonies. Their size made them suited for spying. Their abilities leaned more toward hunting and scavenging, and each member of the colony would extend an auric buff that increased the abilities of allies. Although they didn't exhibit the mind-hive mentality of ants and bees, they were still able to communicate using scent trails. Their senses of smell were so heightened that they could communicate with each other over vast distances. Aziza, that were ranked knight and higher, had the ability to change size. None of them would ever be as tall as a Seelie, but they were able to grow to a foot in height, much easier to interact and discuss treaties and obligations with. I detailed the colony responsibilities and duties to assist Cedric with investigative procedures, using their diminutive size to spy on and infiltrate suspect candidates. Their ability to search pockets, hide in clothing, and avoid detection allowed us to ferret out and dismiss quite a few possible spies. The process was tedious and time-consuming, and we were exhausted at the end of the day. The steady stream of potential candidates exploded as news that I was not only accepting knights and squires, but commoners and peons. Hard luck stories from individuals that were obviously malnourished or abused became common, and these individuals were usually hired. My guard detail swelled from nothing to 20, and I found a ranked knight, level 3, named Euron, that had some experience training others. He had been employed as a retainer and as the personal trainer for a crony of Lord Cal's, but had been dismissed after his last student had ascended. Although it is hard to tell the age of the sea, 
he projected an aura of command and steadfastness that only came with age. He meshed well with Cedric, and the two of them looked to be on their way to becoming great friends. He was honest and suggested we scrutinize even more invasively anyone that was chosen to act as guards. The problem we would encounter were legion. Without the need to worry about the pitfalls and traps of setting up a rookie protection detail, but he agreed to a contract and loyalty oath without batting an eye. He even suggested revising to the wording on contracts we'd cobbled together and pointing out ways to make the oaths more effective, with fewer loopholes. Pulling up a website that had detailed oaths that had been time-tested and were used by Seely and Unseely monarchs, we discovered that most of the work had been done for us. I agreed to have him sit in and conduct any field tests he thought necessary for any potential guard candidates. By the second day, I realized the hotel was not going to work as a base of operations. There was no way to house new staff or guards. So Henry made short work of finding new temporary lodgings. An empty warehouse. Not ideal. But it did have offices that were quickly relegated to living areas. Two communal shower stalls that were separated by gender and a small kitchenette. The cooking facilities were not suitable to meet our growing needs, but Jenny was able to broker a deal with her clan for delivery service. It was a tight fit and took some adjusting as new people were continually hired. Forty staff, five of whom had been elevated serfs, Thumb had controlled, fifty guards, a guard captain, and Aziza colony, but still no appropriate advisors. I was beginning to worry that Cal Fife was too small, too remote to attract the kind of people I needed to really build an effective house. Even if the World Quest had increased the available labor pool, that didn't mean they were local or able to arrive at a reasonable time. I may need to wait until I reach the capital to continue my recruitment.